I was constantly trying to pour from an empty cup, pour from an empty cup. Cornbread Hustle did not become successful and we did not start impacting a lot of lives until I found recovery myself. Hello, Dolly. You're listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast with your host, Portia Scott. This podcast is a collection of interviews and stories, weaving together life's pivotal moments and the decisions made to show up and impact humanity, one person at a time. Hello, darlings, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I actually just listened to this episode again and the work that our house guest is doing is incredible. This episode actually pairs very well with episode 41 with Ella Turin because in that episode we discuss prison reform as well as recidivism. So when you hear the word recidivism, it really is a measurement by criminal acts that result in rearrest, reconviction, or return to prison with or without a new sentence during a three-year period following the prisoner's release. And so this is so important because it is trying to figure out why do people go back to prison after serving these sentences? And there is no one answer, nor is the solution just one thing. It's, it's really layered and the approach is layered. However, we will never be able to solve a problem until we actually start to solve the problem. And today's house guest is working to solve the problem. She is the creator of Cornbread Hustle, a staffing agency for second chances. She is compassionate about helping people with criminal backgrounds and individuals in recovery find transformation through employment or entrepreneurship. Help me welcome Sherry Garcia. Ah, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be on the show. It's so funny, you know. Um, I, 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 I am on YouTube, but not like that. And I don't even know what sent me to your page, but I think it was right around when COVID um, had started and you were doing some disinfecting services and you had a video out. And I just absolutely loved what you were doing because people need second chances. And so oftentimes people that are in our uh, criminal justice systems and the prison systems, they don't get that opportunity to get a second chance. So I love the work that you're doing. So while we jump into the podcast, I want to know, what are you grateful for? That's a great question. Um, every single morning I wake up and I, the first thing I acknowledge is that I'm grateful that I can hear the birds because before sobriety, I couldn't hear the birds because I just was drowned out in pain and anxiety and hangover or whatever. So I'm grateful to hear the birds because of my sobriety. I love that. And then how long have you been sober? I have been sober for 20 months now. That's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It feels so weird to say 20 months. Um, 
but I don't want to say a year and a half because I'm more than a year and a half. So I feel like a mom that's like super proud of a kid. And I'm going to be like, I'm 56 months sober. <laughs> I literally was thinking that same thing, that that's just how we are with our children when they're not two yet. We want to make sure that every month counts. I think that's so incredible. I mean, just congratulations. You know, uh, if we've never had an issue or suffered through addiction and that 20 months is huge, mm -hmm. right? And I, I often think about how we struggle in other areas. And when we are able to start to overcome and do the baby steps to get past that. So thank you so much for sharing that. I also wanted to know, uh, you know, I wanted to know as of today, like how many returning citizens have you been able to place for uh, employment through Cornbread Hustle? That's a great question. So I know we've had 4,000 applicants. Um, I know I just looked at our numbers the other day. We had 4,000, we have 4,000 archived ap applicants. I would have to really dig and look to see how many we've placed so far, but I can tell you that we're about to hit a hundred current full-time employees on our payroll at this moment in time. So yeah, so it just changes and it fluctuates, right? We've been in business for four years, so we we hire people all the time and they work for three days and quit. It's just part of the business, um, especially for the entry-level jobs that are a little bit more grunt-worky. Um, so I'm sure it's hundreds of people that we've placed, but it's hard to keep track of the total number. All we do is keep track of total applicants and current employees. Well, we love it. And current employees, it's over a hundred. Almost a hundred. Almost a hundred. So that is almost a hundred lives that you, you're giving a second chance. Um, what is it like, Sherry, when someone is, you know, either released from prison or they're um, like you, they're walking out their sobriety and they just need that chance? What is their experience like when they go to these employers that are not Cornbread Hustle affiliates or partners? What is that like for someone? You know, it's really difficult. So first of all, whether you spend one year in prison or 25 years in prison, when you get released, you get $50 and a bus ticket and you're on your own. Good luck. If you don't know how to use the internet, too bad. So getting a job sometimes is like, Yes, that's something they need to do immediately, but sometimes that's even the least of their problems. Like, where are they going to live? Um, how are they going to get to where they're going once they run out of that $50? But, yeah, there is a box on the application that says, have you been convicted of a felony? It's there for a reason. We've all seen it. It's basically there so that employers can discriminate. I mean, or else it wouldn't be there, right? Um, just like your job history wouldn't be there if they didn't want to know and if they didn't want to judge you based on what your job was before you applied for this job. So a lot of times because of just the, um, I call it the pot roast theory, like for like generation to generation, generation, we do certain recipes and we don't know why we do it that way. It's just how it is. I think there's a lot of companies out there that's just like, oh, we just never hired felonies. It's just part of our policy, um, hired people with felonies. Yeah, there's a really automatic no, usually. And then 
there's, you know, policies of we don't hire any first degree felonies or we don't hire anybody with violent crimes or we don't hire anybody with drug addiction. Like there's all kinds of different reasons that somebody at the top one day decided that it's a no. So there's no process for that HR department to have empathy and get to know somebody's story because they're kind of kicked out before they even get the chance. What we do at Cornbread Hustle is we do the digging. We get the story. We have the empathy. So we go to the client and we say, hey, we have a guy sitting here. He has a first degree felony. It is violent. Here's why it happened. He was drunk and high. He came home. It is family violence, but he got in a fight with his brother who was also drunk and high. But since he violated probation because he had a nonviolent drug charge, they gave him five years in prison. And that's why it's a first degree felony. He has been sober for the last three years. He's been out of prison for X amount of time. Here's why we think he'll be a really great fit for your company. So now instead of checking that box, I have a first degree felony for family violence violence, the first thing you think of when you see that is that's a woman beater, right? Right. like right. A, a rude person. I'm trying not to use any curse words, but I wanted to say a curse word, but that, that is a rude woman beater. Don't want them here in this company. Violent. Wow. But how I just explained it really changed the whole situation. So that's what we do. We have clients that come to us and sign an agreement that says, if you find us the right people, and if we say yes, then we're going to pay you money for finding those people for us. So we bridge the gap between somebody who needs the second chance and the employer who needs a loyal, willing to work person. Absolutely. And so how do you do that within, you know, say within the prisons? Do you have partnership with the prisons and jails? Uh, I know you're located in Texas um, there to be able to, you know, I have these amount of people. This is a program that we have that the prison runs. How does that work? So we don't necessarily have official partnerships, Mm -hmm. um, but we do have contacts, I guess you could call it community yeah. partners, right? Yeah. So we have contacts with all, a lot of the jails, a lot of the re-entries, probation officers, parole officers. Since I have personally been going into prisons for since 2013, that's a long time. Word of mouth has really like gotten around. And I don't know if you know, but the game of telephone in prison is pretty real. So the the word gets around really easily, especially in controlled environments like that. So we don't have a shortage of applicants that know Cornbread Hustle exists. And um, yeah, we, we most of the time, a lot of our applicants come in through a, refer- a referral. Basically, hey, my probation officer told me I should reach out to you. Or I heard about it from a homie in jail or whatever. We do a lot of PR and social media marketing. So word of mouth gets out like that. Um, What was really hard, now we're doing well. We're like on a wait list, basically, for clients who want to hire from us because we're doing so well. The pandemic has actually really helped us. At first, we were afraid we were going to lose all of our jobs. And we did for a minute there. And that's why we started a disinfecting company because we were like, we, I was, I was like, okay, I'm one year sober. I just got on my feet. I did not work this hard to lose it all. I'm 
I do not think so. So I was like, hey, everyone, we're putting on hazmat suits and we're cleaning toilets. I don't care. We're doing it. So, um, but what happened was all these people ended up being on unemployment and it's really great unemployment that pays more than these entry level jobs. So clients essentially almost had no choice but to reach out to us and ask for this specific talent pool because guess what? People coming out of prison aren't eligible for unemployment because they have no work history. So now we have people who want to work and the employers have been put in a position where they're like, even if they don't believe in second chances, they better because, because they need, need the work for it. Their, their production going. So it's been great. Now we have a lot of clients, really reputable clients. Um, we, we have a company that, you know, they, they'll take 400 people from us if we could deliver right now. Wow. We just, you know, we're only so many people and we can work so fast. Our process um basically we accept only 25% of all our applicants and it's not because we have a super high set bar or anything it's just hey pass the drug test show up to work have a good attitude right. be accountable be transparent and if you can't represent second chances or our company well then we're not going to send you because we don't get paid unless we get results right. and if we send somebody to a job site and they do something really bad we could lose that whole client and it will affect a whole bunch of lives so we do a phone interview first then we bring somebody in for an in-person interview we do the drug test we do the background check even though we are a second chance friendly staffing agency, you would be surprised. People lie about their background all the time. Even though I have full-time employees here in the office who have like a murder charge. Like, I don't care what you did. Like, let's just talk about it. They still lie. And that's, it's important to know what the charge is because there's some environments that it's just not responsible to put certain you know, people with different patterns into. That's so good. I love that you said that, you know, I, I love that you are saying we're giving people a second chance, but you got to show up, you have to pass the drug test, you have to do these things. And, you know, it's, you wouldn't put them in places where whatever maybe that vice is, whatever maybe that past, maybe addiction or the thing that drew them would be culpable in, you know, bringing that back up again and likely, uh, you know, falling back into that, that thing. So I love that you kind of look at, that's why I think it's so important that you look at people's history and see where is all this coming from? What are the stories? And then being able to put them in that. So, um, I love that. I did have a question because some of these people coming out of prison, like you said, you don't know how to use the internet. Oh, well, you know, but I think, if they've been in for a certain amount of time, how do you guys help them to reintegrate to showing up on time? I mean, they've been forced to do this, but now you have a freedom to decide whether or not you want to show mm -hmm. up. Um, what things do you guys do to help them in that area too? We do as much as we can with the resources we have. We're not a nonprofit, so we don't have as many resources available to us as maybe some other nonprofits that are able to raise money for certain um, areas of their business. We do have a resilience advocate on staff that I have decided to use that money to put 
we have recovery meetings and things in place to help people with their mental health awareness and addiction, which is really important because even me as a business owner, um, had I not had my recovery group and my sponsor and my accountability partners or mentors, there's no way I would have made it. And so I can only imagine for somebody just getting out of prison and not having any direction. There are a lot of re-entries out there that we can point people into the right direction to because those are nonprofits that specialize in those areas. As of right now, because we charge like any other staffing agency, so all of our competitors, we charge just like they do. The only difference is we do a whole bunch of different type of work and we have a different approach. Um, but it's very difficult with the profit margins and the budget to provide all the additional resources because then we, we just simply can't afford it. Um, however, we use our profits as responsibly as we can to continue to add more and more resources as we grow. Mm -hmm. So in terms of teaching people how to use the internet, definitely don't have the resources, time, equipment, or office space for that. But we have had a lot of partners reach out saying, hey, we do this if they want it let us know but what we do do is we specialize in finding where somebody's strength is and what they're good at and finding the right position for them we do have a guy that works here at my office full-time he did 20 years for murder and he let's just say he's not very computer savvy um and i just even just assume that like we I know he spent 20 years in prison and we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So instead we're like, Oh my gosh, he's really energetic. He has great work ethic. He loves to wake up super early and be in the word and read the Bible. And so we have him in a position that perfectly suits where he's at, but we also provide him with a lot of perks and different opportunities to continue education and to learn those things we try not to baptize people by fire because right. it's very overwhelming they just got out of prison and they need to get a job and they need to make money so if i was like hey it's the real world you got to learn the internet before you get a job man they uh, that would be really overwhelming That's true. And that could be potentially dangerous somebody could relapse over that kind of pressure right. and feeling shame even if we don't put any shame on anybody because of our own mental health illnesses or whatever we went through we can harbor a whole bunch of pain and shame if we don't feel enough so we try to always make all of our employees feel enough and put them exactly where they're supposed to be so one of the things you said is you've been in the prison system since 2013 but the company is four years old um, so what's that connection of you being in, you know, in the prison system since 2013? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when I first, my first time getting in recovery, and I'm not even going to call it recovery because I didn't work a program and I quite simply wasn't in recovery. I just quit doing an, Ill an illegal drug. So in 2007, I quit using meth. I was a drug dealer and a drug user. 
I was very rebellious, arrested a whole bunch of times, hit my rock bottom, rebuilt my life, got into the newsroom, became a public relations person, invented a product. Like I really like picked myself up by my bootstraps and became successful. And so I had this whole idea that, hmm, I wonder if other people who are addicts chase that same high that I do of achievement and accomplishment and if they would make really good employees and entrepreneurs. And so I've started volunteering for a nonprofit called the Prison Entrepreneurship Program. I got very involved. In fact, I went on the Steve Harvey show twice representing them before Cornbread Hustle was even born. Sadly, looking back, I was still very heavy in my addiction because I was drinking so much. But I justified it as I'm a business owner, work hard, play hard. It's not illegal. I'm not on probation. All my other peers who are running businesses are drinking themselves silly at happy hours too. It's just part of being an entrepreneur. Um, my idea of entrepreneurship and success looked a lot like Wolf of Wall Street. Like the more you're partying and the more you can afford and the more you can show off and the better car and high rise that you have, the more successful you are. Obviously, I know that that's not true today. But that's how it all began. I started volunteering for a nonprofit um, that the prison entrepreneurship program that taught entrepreneurship. Few years later, after my first few speeches, I started getting Facebook friend requests with people with neck tattoos and teardrop tattoos. And I was like, hmm, guess they're getting out of prison now and they're reaching out. So uh, I would meet up with them and be like, holy cow. You got nothing. You got like 50 bucks and a bus ticket. We can't start a business. Hold on. Let's put this to the side real fast. It's a dream and you're still going to accomplish it. But let's reverse engineer the big picture goal and let's start with milestones. And so what I would do is like, you want to own a restaurant one day? Awesome. I'm going to find a small restaurant owner where you can shadow him and get really involved in the day to day. So you feel purposeful going to work. Even if you're only going to make $10 an hour, you're going to love making that $10 an hour because now you're pursuing your ultimate goal of starting a business one day. And that's basically what I did when I first got off drugs and got into the news business. I just started following news reporters around and making it like I made $8 an hour at my first news job. And I was so proud to make that $8 an hour because I was like, I'm pursuing my dream to be a CNN reporter and I'm doing what it takes and I get paid to learn. I loved it. So that's how it all happened. And then I found that I was spending all of my time placing people in jobs, being the middleman, um, calling different organizations and selling these people. And then it just, I mean, I thought to myself, wow, well, I'm glad I got everybody a job, but I worked myself out of one because I haven't even worked on my business right. and my passion is nowhere else. So let me figure out how to make this a business and monetize it so I can make a living. Everyone asked me like, why in the heck would you not make this a nonprofit? because you're banking on the success of felons. <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah, you know, because I wanted to focus on raising men and women instead of raising money. I didn't want to spend all my time 
creating banners and fundraisers and galas and dressing up and doing silent auctions and all of that. I'm really good at entrepreneurship. It's my gift. I can turn anything into money anytime. And I just felt like why reinvent the wheel if I'm doing this for the right reasons, like to really make a difference. Why would I try to figure out how to start a nonprofit and get a board and learn how to fundraise? There's no point. Um, we operate almost like a nonprofit because trust me, there's no profit at the end of the day. Um, but I, I just really wanted to, this was, this is how I sell my clients. And it's so true. If I'm not placing quality employees at your workplace, that's making money and they're putting food on their table for their families, then I have no food on my table, but charities, no offense to any charities. Cause we work with so many of them and nonprofits and we couldn't do our job without them. God bless the work that they do, but they are in a different, it's just reality. They're in a different situation where they need to hit certain numbers and they need to raise a certain amount of money. And since they are a nonprofit, they're able to cast a wider net and say, hey, um, everybody, here's a job available. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. There's no consequence, right, for a reentry or a nonprofit. There's always consequence when things don't work out, right? I mean, it can affect the money that you're trying to raise and it can affect your numbers and your data. But for me, I just wanted it to direct. I wanted that accountability. I wanted it to directly correlate with, can I eat? Well, only if they're eating. <laughs> you said it, you wanted to raise men and women and not money. And I think that is fascinating, especially since you are a for-profit, people would say, well, isn't that different? But when you explained it to say, if they don't eat, I don't eat. That's my accountability. Prior to that, you said that you invented something. Yes. I invented, while I was working in the newsroom, I worked overnights and I worked with China overseas and created some um, drawings and I manufactured a product. It's called the Luminous Envy Tanning Bed. I got it into retailers nationwide. Um, it was in Leslie's pools. I went on as seen on TV. And you know, the thing is, it's nothing was ever enough for me. And they say a, a piggy bank with a little bit of money makes a lot more noise. And I was all noise. I wanted to let the world know that I wasn't a piece of crap and I wasn't a loser anymore. So look how much I'm doing. Look how successful I am. When at the end of the day, I never really had anything. I did have a high rise. I did have a good income. Um, but I was just oh my God, I was empty. I was miserable. I was bitter. I didn't have any true friends. Um, but I, I sure did want to tell everybody how to live their lives and how they can achieve happiness. And I'm glad for all of that because I would have never started Cornbread Hustle. I look back and I started the company because I wanted to fix other people to avoid fixing myself. And I was pouring into so many people and justifying that to fill myself up with alcohol. I was constantly trying to pour from an empty cup, pour from an empty cup. Cornbread Hustle did not become successful 
And we did not start impacting a lot of lives until I found recovery myself, until I got that DWI as the founder of a staffing agency for Second Chances. That was not a great, like, I was sitting in the back of the cop car and I was like, wow, this isn't good PR. Like, this is stupid. And uh, until I had to, and I've been arrested a lot of times in my life, so it wasn't my first rodeo. But being arrested while being a founder of this company really put things into perspective that maybe I do have a problem because I even still tried to justify that. Like everyone drinks and drives. I just happen to be caught and it's just happens to be I'm the founder of a staffing agency for second chances. It is what it is. And I continued to drink a whole year after that arrest around my breathalyzer and trying to hide from my probation officer. But having that just a year and a half ago, I had a negative bank account and having that negative bank account and still trying to figure out um, how to pay my probation fees and how to pass the drug test because they tested for alcohol as well. Um, trying to figure out how to, you know, sneak fake pee in or whatever I could do and trying to figure out how many drinks I could have before I woke up and was able to blow into my breathalyzer without violating probation. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff was like, I, I was right where the people I'm serving were at hopeless, ashamed, felt guilt, had no money, um, becoming more self-destructive because I felt so shamed and I felt bad and I felt like I wasn't enough and I wasn't receiving any help for my addiction. Not that I was asking, but there was no voices to tell me like there is a better life and here's what recovery looks like. Instead, it was punishment, 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 take your money, punishment, punishment. Now we're going to give you an ankle monitor that's going to cost you 300 bucks a month and it's going to detect if you're drinking or not. Right. So all kinds of money and punishment, money, punishment. And um, it just wasn't until I found recovery myself and decided I woke up on Christmas Day one year after my DWI and decided to give myself the gift of sobriety. And that was Christmas Day 2018. So I'm coming up on two years sober. And I mean, we went from a negative bank account to I don't know what our numbers are exactly right now because we keep <laughs> we keep growing week over week over week. But I think we're at almost a two million dollar run rate a year. Right. And just a year and a half ago, I was negative three grand in the bank. So and now I don't have to run around and tell everybody how good I'm doing or how rich I am. In fact, I have a car that was given to me for free after I surrendered my fancy car that I was like trying to keep up with. And I'm so proud of my free car that doesn't start all the time. It's, it's just insane how proud I have, am of that. And I think I'm so proud of it because it's my greatest accomplishment to be whole and to be happy with myself and to be in recovery and to know that I don't need to have things or impress people to be liked. Look at the difference that a year, a year and a half can make. And the fact that, you know, and I'm not saying, hey, go go start a business and, you know, you're you're drunk and you're high. But I think that um, you kind of mentioned it is that you literally started the business while you were drunk, while you were inebriated because um, and, and, and why do you appreciate the fact that you did it then? 
I I appreciate the that I did it then because today in sobriety, um, I I gotta be honest with you. I don't think I would take the risk. I think I would have maybe listened to people of maybe making it a nonprofit because. You know, when I was drunk and high, when I started this business, and when I say high, I was popping Adderall during the day or doing cocaine here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. same Wolf of Wall Street type behavior, right? Um, I guess I wouldn't have, I started the business because I was drunk. So I knew my potential and I knew my desires. I knew my intentions and I also knew I was drunk. So I saw something in other people who are still drunk or still high or struggling. I didn't even see it as struggling then. I just saw it as, oh, we just don't know how to channel our creativity. But that that is what made me crazy enough to start this business because, you know, I... I hired people that were still using and drinking, obviously, because what? why was I going to tell them? I wasn't holding them accountable or drug testing anybody because I couldn't pass one. So um, misery loves company. And I think that it was a way for me to hide behind my own addiction, to fix people, to avoid fixing myself, and because I wanted to hang out with people that um, were like me. And what better way to do that than to start a staffing agency for second chances? Come one, come all. I don't care if you're drunk or not. Let's hang out. So today in recovery, let's say I didn't have a business and I had the idea for Cornbread Hustle. Um, First of all, I would probably be like, you know, I'm all right. Like I found recovery and I have friends and... Um, I don't know if I want to work all day, every day dealing with failed drug tests and like interviewing these people. (laughs) Um, I'm happy I do it now and I love my life and we've scaled the company and everything's amazing. But I think it would have been a lot harder for me to make this decision, to take the leap, to make a for-profit banking on the success of people in recovery. Um, because I know how bad I struggled and how much I faked it till I made it. And so the awareness would have been a little too hard to create this business. But again, I'm glad that I did because I told you our numbers were doing good and we are profitable. So I'm glad. Um, I will tell you one of the ways, like what our secret sauce is, it's not secret because I'm telling you, but what we feel that really makes a difference and why we're able to be successful is we have a rule here at Cornbread Hustle. So, and it might change as we grow. Um, we only, so we're almost like reverse discrimination, which it doesn't really, I've talked to an attorney, like there's no such thing as reverse discrimination, but we literally like, people have come to me and said, so literally I'm going to have to commit a crime and spend five years in prison before you hire me. And I'm like, pretty much. Um, (laughs) We, we only internally, if you're going to be a recruiter here, that means making a decision. If somebody's ready for employment to represent us, you have to have had at least five or more years experience in dealing with addiction, being addicted, Um, or five or more years experience being incarcerated because it's really important for us that we've walked the walk. We've talked the talk. You're looking at the girl who went on the Steve Harvey show saying I help people and I was drunk because I had to drink before I went on that stage. Right? So I know 
just about better than most people. Like if somebody is authentic or not in their desire to change, because I was the faker of them all. So all of us were here at our office. If I walk next door and if I could bring my camera and show you the people that work here, we are all in recovery for alcoholism and meth addiction. It just happened that way. Trust me, I'd be happy to hire somebody in recovery from heroin or anything else. I don't know why it happened. I just have attracted people in recovery from meth and alcohol. But we are all in recovery from meth and alcohol. Interestingly enough, I believe I have the least amount of sobriety as all of us here. So um, it's really cool because we have a lot of recovery meetings here and we're really close knit and connected and it's just important for us to make sure we have people representing us right. To give a really great example of why it's so important we have people here who understand and have walked the walk. We did have an employee. Um, the other day, we had an employee recently, I'll say. Um, he failed a drug test uh, for meth. And normally at any other job that would be an automatic, like you're fired. Um, and it's not an employee here, an employee that was out at our job site. So this, this is a second part of our job. Like now it's up to us to communicate what happened with the employer and, um, how we're working on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So we knew this particular person's heart. He's been with our program for a long time. He, he just simply relapsed and, my recruiter who has three years in recovery and works a really strong program. And she's also in recovery from meth and alcohol was able to, we, we really, we had, I don't even know how many hours worth of meeting about how we're going to handle this situation because we take it really seriously. We don't enable people, mm -hmm. but we ended up giving him a few days off to really think about what he wanted in his life. And, um, we told him to come back and take a drug test. And now he's part of our recovery group here. He's coming weekly. He's been coming weekly for the past um, couple months and he's sober and he's doing well and he didn't lose his job. He didn't revoke his probation. So we kind of were like a soft pillow for him and he's able to come to his CEO and say, I relapsed and I need help. Right. And we're able to celebrate him by giving him recovery chips and being proud of him. We're able to go to the client and say, hey, client, here's the deal. He he screwed up, um, but he's willing and honest. And we let the client make the decision, too. Do you just not like you already gave him a second chance? You know, like we're not asking you for a third chance. But how has he been doing? Is he valuable enough to your workforce that you want to see him get better and continue working there? And we would not hold it against them if they were like, no, get them out of here. We don't want to even deal with it. But so far, none of it. We've had this happen several times, actually. And it's all due to meth. Um, meth right now is at an all time high. And we in our nation have the highest failed drug test in the workplace. Um, in 16 years, we're at a 16 year high. 
of drug test failures because of the coronavirus and the pandemic, but meth is at an all-time high. We're about to be in a huge meth pandemic. Um, so we're dealing a lot lately over the last six months of people relapsing on meth and us having to go back to the clients. And since it's meth and not heroin or alcohol or pills, as funny as it sounds, they're actually really hard workers. <laughs> because I don't know if you know anything about meth, but it's like, it's, it's a stimulant, right? So usually the employer is like, ah, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> I realized like, now they get it. They're like, he was working way too hard and way too long. You crash, you crash real fast. Like to me, what I've learned in my own experience and watching people relapse and watching people get into meth because they graduated from Adderall or whatever, the average time experience based, not you won't read it in any science book or anything, but I believe that on average, your life starts to ruin in about 30 days, whenever you start meth, like it's that quick of like a, a downhill, like it's starting to deteriorate your life. So we, we've dealt with a lot of meth relapses and every, not all the time. So we always, we've had clients say, yes, it's okay. We had one guy um, that was actually in ICU because of an overdose on meth. He overdosed while he was in his work truck before he went to work. We told the client who was in the hospital and all of that, they they were okay with it. And he, he later just couldn't get it together and he died. He did finally die. But the clients always seem to be very open. We don't have many um, people quit or get fired. But most of the time, clients always say like, let me just have somebody with nonviolent drug crime. And I have to educate them that that's not the safest bet all the time. Uh, it's I'm not ever holding anyone back that has a drug addiction from working because I'm like the poster child, right? But every single one of our placements that don't work out, it's never been as a result of a violent crime or showing up to work impaired, um, or theft, or anything. It's never been the result of another crime. It's always been the result of either a relapse, or just plain and simple, they just didn't want to work, or didn't want to show up to work, or fell back into drug dealing, because mm -hmm. that's an addiction as well, that lifestyle. Right. So, um, so when you go to um, an employer, right? You're going to an employer, you go out to, I guess, seek these employers to say, hey, this is our staffing agency. This is what we do. What are some of the benefits that you kind of give the employer to hire, you mm -hmm. know, um, to give someone a second chance that has been in prison that maybe doesn't have, you know, that some of the skills? Uh, what are some of the benefits, though, to hiring um, citizens returning? There is something called the WOTC, the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, mm -hmm. and you can get up to $9,500 tax credit per person that you hire. And the qualification for that is they need to be released from prison within a year of the date you hired them or okay. released from probation within a year of the date that you hired them. So we always ask our applicants, like, when did you get out of prison? And we, we put that uh, date down. And I mean, that that's a lot of money that a lot of companies are actually not taking advantage of. And I'll be honest with you, none of our companies even take advantage of it. We're learning that 
that's not the reason they're hiring these people. They're hiring them because they need to keep production up and they need loyal employees and they like what we're, um, our results. They like what we're developing. Um, but yeah, we, we actually hadn't even been taking advantage of it because it's a lot of, it is paperwork. It's a headache and it's being organized. And I'm, I'm not that I'm not good with paperwork being organized or having headaches. I don't like that either. So, um, we have started to, so I'll see this year come, um, tax return time, see that what, how much it's benefited us and what the difference is. And, uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. I mean, I can't imagine you get up to $9,500 tax credit per person that you hired. That's, that's some great stuff. Mm -hmm. So if we ever have a client that's like totally all about that and that's why they want to work with us, then we'll make sure we aren't claiming that and that we're helping transition and making sure that they are doing, we're doing what we need to do to help them get that Watsy. Mm -hmm. um, and just FYI, I, I believe it's available for hiring veterans um, people with disabilities. There's all kinds of people on the list that qualify for Watsi. So I think that's a really powerful thing for companies to look into. It's Absolutely. almost like free money. You know, if you're hiring those people anyway, um, there are softwares out there and I'm looking into getting one. I, I keep thinking, ah, I don't need to spend the money. I can do it myself. But there are softwares out there that I think for, you know, a percentage of your Watsi credit, on top of a small fee that they make it much easier to automate the process of, mm -hmm. you know, if you hire a ton of employees, if you're a big company that hires a ton of employees, I think there's softwares out there that automate the whole process to where like, you're not having to dig through data like I do and do it manually. And do it manually. Absolutely. Sherry, I just want to thank you so much for just sharing your story, sharing what you all do. I mean, it's incredible that you have four thousand applicants um, even yeah. right now um, one it also speaks to our criminal justice system too um, that there are four thousand uh, applicants and people that need uh, to be re-entered into just the workforce and like you said it was kind of punishment shame punishment punishment but nothing there to reaffirm there's a better way or this mm -hmm. is the way and you guys are really really doing that especially when it comes from a story that knows that story that understands what they're going through that can mm -hmm. be empathetic um to the relapses and empathetic to things that happen so i want you to just paint the picture that you have accomplished everything you've ever dreamed of and you've helped i mean numerous amount of people like so many people you can't even count at this moment and been able to just provide you know that sense of accomplishment having a job it's it's so much more than just being able to eat that is a very important part but it really is that I'm doing something for myself. I'm no longer mm -hmm. relying on somebody else. And so what are you most proud of after all that has been said and done? What are you most proud of? Well, what I'm most proud of, absolutely, like hands down, uh, the hardest thing I ever did in my life was get completely clean and sober. Like it was one thing to get off meth or to stop doing cocaine or to stop doing Adderall, but to give up alcohol because it's such a celebration mm -hmm. social 
society pushes it on you type drink. Like it's the only drug because alcohol is a drug. It's the only drug out there that people question you when you say you don't use it. Like, why? Why don't you? It's, are you pregnant? Are you, do you have a problem? Are you an alcoholic? Well, yes, I am. But you know, it's just, it's not like you say no to a cupcake. People don't start freaking out. And it's usually people projecting their own fears and they don't want to mirror in front of them because they may be struggling and not know it. Right. So mm -hmm. hands down, the most thing that I'm proud of is my sobriety. But if we want to look at accomplishments and take it a step further, um, I would say that the thing that I'm most proud of is providing a platform and an environment for my employees. So now I have five full-time employees who are all in recovery. Um, and seeing the joy that they get, that they get to help others. Like we're about, I'm about to go have the employees hold up a sign that says, I changed 50 lives this week. Like they, they feel very empowered that they're able to do that. And I know every day that they come to work, it's almost like part of their recovery program. It's keeping them sober that they have an environment like this to come to. So I'm most proud of creating a healthy environment for people, other people, not me. I'm not changing lives. I'm just creating the platform and the environment with my entrepreneurial skills. That's it. So that's what I'm proud of, seeing how other people work in um, other people's lives. And also how we've invited God into my company. That's been a really big deal for me. I used to always be Mrs. Empire Builder. I'm building my empire. And now I am Mrs. Kingdom Builder. We're building the kingdom and we're allowing God to work in this company. So those are the things I'm most proud of. I love that. So Sherry, before you leave, a couple things. How can we stay in touch with you? How can, if someone wants to partner with Cornbread Hustle, if someone has someone that they know is getting out or needs help, how can we keep up with you and kind of all of those avenues? And I'll make sure that everything that you say, we'll put it in the show notes so that when they're listening, you guys can just go to the show notes and you can uh, click on the link. Great. So the easiest way, if you go to cornbreadhustle.com, I see all the contact submission forms. I still haven't let go of my fear of control. <laughs> so I see every email that comes into our um, company. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Almost sometimes daily, I post a video about vulnerability, mental health, and addiction. So LinkedIn is where I'm really active on posting content. But if you just Google my name or cornbread hustle, I'm, I'm loud and proud and I recover out loud. So you'll find me. If you want me, you can find me. <laughs> I love it. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for being our house guest today. I've absolutely enjoyed uh, our conversation and just love what you're doing. And so, so excited just to see all that you're going to do, even as the years progress. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll leave you with this. If you ever get a second chance in life for something, you've got to go all the way. Lance Armstrong. As always, we end every show with this declaration. Waking up is automatic. Showing up is intentional. Today, I will show up. 
Thanks again for spending time with me today and listening to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe so you never miss a show, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend or foe. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I am Portia Scott. Until next time, go impact the world.